Are you recording now? Branch. 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 Branch out. A podcast from the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. Plants really depend on animals for pollination, for dispersal. Usually when fruit falls off the tree, it's because it's ripe. And that's the whole point, to be ripe so that it's more accessible to the animals that will disperse it. And, and animals, of course, are interested in those because they're packed with nutrients. Hey, I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and in a moment, you're going to meet the amazing animal responsible for that deep, vibrating boom you just heard. We're not at the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney today, and judging by that prehistoric-sounding bellow, you might think I'm taking you to Jurassic Park. Well, you're close. For this episode of Branch Out, we're off to Sydney's Taronga Zoo to meet an endangered native animal that lives in Queensland's rainforest known as the dinosaur bird. So yeah, um, a cassowary's call is actually one of the lowest frequency sounds made by a bird. That's Corinne, a birdkeeper at Taronga Zoo. And they tilt their head to the ground and then their whole body starts to vibrate. Wow. And watching it, and if you've been close to it, it actually feels like the sound is vibrating through your body. It allows you to go back in time and kind of feel like what it would have been like to be around dinosaurs. Corinne looks after two southern cassowaries at Taronga Zoo and she's using a tasty bowl of food to try and get them to come closer to us. Come on, Chuck. Let's go, buddy. That's the male. Maka, come on. And that's the female. It's a true Aussie pair. Yep. <gasps> she's so close. Hey, gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Here you go, down. So the female's just come down. She's got a lot more power than he does and... And she, she's probably sitting at around 66 kilos. She's the boss in here. Yeah, she's been running up and down those, those rocks like Rocky <laughs> or something on the stairs. They actually have a dagger-like claw on the inside toenail, and that grows to around 12 and a half centimetres in length. They can jump up and kick out, and they use that dagger-like toenail as a weapon. So it is why they're classified as um, the world's most dangerous bird. And move quickly when they want to. They can reach speeds up, up to 50 kilometres an hour. Wow. But cassowaries only have the potential to be dangerous. They are actually really shy animals that live in dense tropical rainforests, and they're beautiful. Fluffy black feathers, beautiful blue, like bright royal blue face, huge beak. She's a pretty bird. <laughs> She's... She's gorgeous with her straight cask and those long, beautiful wattles at the front. She's a, she's a pretty good specimen of a cassowary. And I noticed some I really, so <laughs> really beautiful eyelashes as well. Gorgeous eyelashes, yep. <laughs> eyelashes on fleek. <laughs> it's actually what they eat and the size of the things that they eat that is so important and the focus of today's episode. Um, it just swallowed that half tomato like nothing. Oh, yeah. They can swallow fruits whole. Oh, look at it go down. Ready? It's just well, <laughs> gone. I'm pretty sure they can probably um, like swallow mangoes whole. A, ma a mango. So we can't obviously provide them with the fruits and things that they would find in the rainforest. So that's the best we can get to it. So a variety of tomato, kiwi, rock melon, banana. Grapes are a favourite. So where do you buy grapes, Woolies? Well, they're expensive at the moment. 
But as Corinne said, in the wild, cassowaries aren't eating grapes from woolies. They feed on the big, fleshy fruits that rainforest species produce. Evolutionary ecologist from the Royal Botanic Gardens, Sydney, Dr. Maurizio Rosetto, studies this important relationship between plants and animals. But first, he really needs to show me something. So let's get this cassowary video up. Okay. Oh yeah. So you still haven't seen it. Is that what you're telling me? Dr. Rosetto has been so excited to show me this video that's gone viral all over social media. Okay, be ready for exam because Vanessa's okay. going to get very excited. <laughs> Just watch this. All right. It's a cassowary. Oh. Oh my God. That looks ridiculous. <gasps> it's this incredible slow motion action shot of a southern cassowary jumping over a meter high in the air to grab a giant piece of fruit hanging from a tree all in one go with its huge beak. It suggests that they really prize those fruit because they, they tend to act more as a vacuum, uh, clean up everything that is on the ground. But clearly when, when something is uh, uh, really high, high uh, nutrition contents, they uh, are going for it and they don't uh, stop at anything. That one looked nice and round with probably very hard, large seed inside. And, and without the casuary, those are the ones that don't get dispersed. But what's the big deal about needing to disperse or rather spread the seed around? If you have two or three populations and uh, on one of those or two of those are burned through, that's it, you're left with one population. But if you're able to disperse, you just wait until the opportunity arises, until um, uh, there is uh, suitable habitat and then you move from there. So to do that you need dispersal capacity and usually that's done with fleshy fruits that are attractive to animals that can swallow them, poop them somewhere else <laughs> and everybody's happy. Yep, that's me giggling at the word poop. Back to the importance of dispersal. Uh, often rainforests are in relatively small pockets of super suitable habitat and then they're surrounded by, by dry vegetation that is affected by fire and that's not suitable for rainforest species. So they need to be able to move from that side to another suitable side where there's, it's protected from fire, it's wet. If you can't, every time you lose a population, that's it. There is no coming back. There is no coming back. There is no coming back. And eventually <laughs> you, go, you go extinct. I just want to bring you back to this quote that I've heard oh. you say before. <laughs> so some trees have up to 300 sprouting trunks, all part of the same genetic individual. And I've heard you describe this as the zombie equivalent of plants. What, what do you mean by that? Okay, that, that's, um, yeah, no, it's true, and it, it happens uh, in many different circumstances. The, the, the one I uh, was referring to there is uh, Elecarpus williamsianus. Now, Elecarpus williamsianus is uh, a semi-typical rainforest tree that has the advantage that it has the capacity to re-sprout, a bit like, you know, bamboo or, or strawberries that, that can send new shoots. Now, that, that's all nice and well. The problem is that it is also a species that needs uh, um, outcrossing, meaning that it needs multiple individuals to be able to produce viable seed, to reproduce sexually. And so all the known populations have multiple trunks, but uh, those trunks all belong to one single genetic individual. What that means is that although you walk amongst the population, you see those hundreds of trunks, they are all the same and they have lost the capacity to reproduce. They have like lost clones them. or something? They're all clones, okay. exactly right. They're there, but they're not there. They are supremely 
susceptible to further disturbance. Definitely, if you clear those, they're never going to come back, and they're not going to come back from anywhere because they cannot produce viable seed. So what does a cassowary eat in the rainforest and how does their important digestive task work? There's around 21 species of plants that actually solely rely on the cassowary to ingest them and then pass them through their system. They're either too large or too toxic for other animals to actually be able to ingest. So they eat the fruits whole and then their stomachs actually strip the flesh from the seeds and then leave the seeds to be passed through completely unharmed. And so their feces are quite large and moist and they deposit them over large areas of the rainforest and then those seeds are ready to then germinate. How many seeds can be found in one pile of poop? Hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands of seeds. Wow. Yeah, it is really quite fascinating. So, and what, what I find really interesting is that one animal's waste is actually the life source for other plants and other animals to start growing. So it's really quite, quite a cool life cycle. While Corinne and I were having a chat, Dr. Rosetto actually spotted something tasty hanging over Chuck and Macca's enclosure. Yeah, this one here. See this one here? That's, that's a blue Kwandong. Kwandong. <laughs> it's a beautiful big tree which can grow up to about 40 metres high. It's known as the blue fig because of the big blue shiny fruit it produces. Kwandongs are a, a typical uh, a species that probably needs cassowaries or something that ingests them as yeah. a whole to germinate. So if you, if you don't do that, they will germinate, but they'll probably take a couple of years. But when they're ingested, I've seen them many times up in the wet tropics, you see a pile of seed in a, in a yeah. cassowary pool, and then they all germinate. I've got photos of maybe 20, 30 little germinants. Dr. Rosetto has spent so much time in rainforests researching seed dispersal in order to conserve plant species that grow there. But not everyone gets the opportunity to enter these luscious habitats, so I wanted to know what it's like. There are magnificent environments to be in, very different from what the rest of Australia is. In rainforests, it's a much greener, close canopy, temperature and conditions are more consistent. Some of the plots are relatively small plots, so 50 by 20 meter plots where we count all the species, we will have more than a hundred species of trees. So this sounds like your experience or description as a scientist going into the rainforest, but just as Maurizio walking through. I, I love the smell, I love uh, the shade, I love to see the diversity. One of the great things is that uh, Every 10 meters, you see something different. I don't like the leeches. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> Although I prefer leeches to ticks. You know, it's, it's just more inspiring. And no matter where you look, it's green. No matter where you look, it's humid, wet. Usually there's lots of creeks. And also I find that you, you tend to be more conscious of the fauna of birds. You, you hear more birds, uh, more insects. Rainforests cover just a fraction of the world, but they're like the lungs of the earth. They stabilize the climate and are home to the world's five to 10 million plant and animal species, like the Kwandong tree and the Southern cassowary. But worldwide, rainforests are our most threatened habitats and the Southern cassowary is listed as endangered in Australia. There are a few different contributing factors as to why they're endangered. Um, one of the main reasons in habitat loss so a few years ago, far north Queensland were hit with cyclones yeah. that destroyed a lot of their habitat, as well as 
land clearing and urbanisation and building up the um, environment around there, they're actually losing parts of their habitat and it's now quite fragmented. So they're having to cross roads or come into town to look for food and they're getting hit by cars when they're doing that. Once they're in the urban areas, they're also being attacked by unrestrained dogs or wild dogs. Yeah. They also compete for food with wild pigs. So yeah. the wild pigs will destroy their nests and then take all their fruit. And if the cassowary is endangered, so are some of the precious rainforest species that they eat. They are critical, particularly in Australia, because they are one of the most important uh, um, megafauna that we have within rainforests. What's going to happen to these rainforest species that rely on them, and what else can we do? They will become increasingly um, relictual. Relictual means the only surviving representative of what used to be a diverse group. As it ha is happening everywhere in the world, as I was saying before, as, as the megafauna is lost, uh, a lot of species cannot be dispersed anymore and eventually they go extinct. So again, they need to be targeted as in need of some sort of support and, and help amongst all the other species that need to be targeted in, in, for support and help. Obviously the easier way to do it, particularly in, in, in places such as with tropics where the casualties are still there, is to make sure that they stay there and make sure that they thrive. Or, uh, as they've done uh, in other places around the world, you can try to bring in other animals that can do the job. Or you can reintroduce the cats in New South Wales. The rainforests truly do rely on the cassowaries for their survival. So they have quite a good relationship. We need to keep them going. They're a fascinating animal to look at and it would be such a shame to lose them for them to go extinct. Thanks for listening to Branch Out. Next episode, we're continuing with the dinosaur theme and heading out to the Australian Botanic Garden west of Sydney. We're going to be talking about the dinosaur tree with Dr. Cathy Offord. So these are the oldest Wollamoe pines in cultivation in the world. Since being discovered deep within a national park near Sydney in 1994, it has captured the imagination and attention of the world. The discovery of the Wollamoe pine was on the front page of nearly every major newspaper in the world. We find it hard to believe that things are still alive today that essentially haven't changed much for perhaps 100 or 200 million years. So now that we've discovered it, we now have a responsibility to look after it. If you want to know more about how world-leading scientists are developing solutions to the world's most critical environmental and biodiversity issues, search for the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney and follow the links to our science page. You can subscribe to Branch Out on any podcast app and please leave us a rating and a review if you like the show. It helps more people find us. I'm Vanessa Fuchs and I produce the show with Miles Martignoni.